Hello everyone and welcome to the Wilds Cast. Today we're going to be rebroadcasting a Lunch and Learn that Rabbi Wilds gave on Facebook Live. Today's topic is the Sfirat HaOmer, the 49 days between the exodus of Egypt on Passover until the moment we receive the Torah at Mount Sinai on the festival of Shavuot. Is it a time of joy or are these weeks a time of mourning? Or is it both? Find out right now. I want to begin with a story. Welcome, Avi Dubin. Pleasure to have you. And it's a story, a story that one of my students at MG uh, actually sent me this email a few years ago. And I thought I would share with you uh, this afternoon. The article was written by a young woman named Rachel who had become a balat tshuva. She, she returned to Judaism. She was not raised in a home that was Sabbath observant or that kept kosher, but she became more observant on her own. Welcome, Jason. And Rachel, like most of my students from MJE, were invited back home to her family for Passover. Now, Rachel's family, although not observant themselves, they were fine about Rachel bringing her own meat and allowing her to, uh, to get the local Lubavitch rabbi to come in and kosher her kitchen for the holiday. The parents sort of put up with all of this, and they were very respectful, and they had a very, very nice relationship, which is... A wonderful thing. You should just know that I always encourage my students to go back home for Passover, uh, even if uh, many of our students become more observant and their parents perhaps less observant. Passover is a time to be home. And you try to work it out. And we try to be respectful of each other's uh, differing uh, perspectives or differing levels of observance. And Rachel planned out everything so that there wouldn't be any controversy. So there wouldn't be any fights between her and her mom and her dad because she became more religious and they weren't as observant. And you know that Passover's got a lot of, a lot of rituals, a lot of laws. That's why we wish each other Chag Kasher V'Sameach, that it should be a kosher Passover. Anyway, she plans out everything down to the types of Haggadahs they were going to use. Everything was thought out in advance to ensure that all would be in conformity with halacha, with Jewish law, and acceptable to her parents. Soon enough, she says in the article, I'm quoting from the article, all of their preparations were done. The food was cooked, the table was set, and all of us were dressed in our finest clothing. Pesach Seder wouldn't be a Pesach Seder without invited guests, except for this year. And this was taken over by inviting my aunt and uncle, who would not have a Seder to go to if it not were for ours. Anyone who just jumped into this, I'm not advocating inviting your aunt and uncle for the Seder, I'm talking about a Seder from the past. Anyway, my aunt and uncle came in and um, we heard a knock at the door. I went to answer and there was my aunt and uncle and my aunt gave me this big smile and she handed me this foil wrapped package and she handed it to me, put it in my hands and said, this is for you. My brain, she says, processed the information. Welcome, thanks for the uh, thumbs up. Blima Kushner, welcome. Pleasure to have you. My, my brain processed this information coming to me both from my nose and my hands, and I gradually realized to my horror that the hostess gift from her aunt, warming the palm of my hand, was a freshly baked loaf of bread. Now, those of you who are observant Jews, she continues to say, will not need any explanation as to the drama of this moment. But then she went on to say that for those not acquainted, 
quote, bringing a loaf of bread to the Passover Seder is probably the equivalent of bringing an expensive bottle of whiskey to an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting. I thought that was a great line. My first thought was, oh, no, I really hope beer, beer, you remember? Or bittel, the verbal nullification that we did before the holiday. If you didn't do the, the verbal nullification, saying that any chametz that you were unaware of, that you overlooked, is like the dust of the earth. You can still do it now if you didn't do it. You hereby, I hereby nullify any ownership of any chametz that's in my possession that I overlooked or, you know, whatever it is. Um, so the woman says to herself, Rachel thinks, I hope the bittel, the verbal nullification, takes care of the chametz that was sitting in her palm. My next reaction though, she says, was 100% due to my parents' good upbringing. There's a saying, Derech Eretz Kadma Torah, which loosely translated means, treating other people is a prerequisite for Torah learning. In my specific case, this was literally true. Because long before I became an observant Jew, my parents taught me Jewish values. And one of the Jewish values is that you treat people especially older people, with respect, no matter what. So although the one part of me wanted to shriek and throw the bread out the window, my good breeding kicked in. I smiled at my aunt and I said, thank you. We casually put the bread down on a coffee table, explaining there is just isn't an inch of room left on the dining room table, and we proceeded to sit down and to start the Seder. Now I share this story with you because I was very impressed with the way this young woman handled the situation. And I also believe that her actions demonstrate a, a fundamental teaching that many of us are perhaps not aware that the Passover holiday brings into, which is called the Omer. The Omer period that we began, actually the second night of Passover, not last night, that was Saturday night, but actually uh, Thursday night. Right? The first night of Passover was Wednesday night. The second night of Passover was Thursday night. Then we had Shabbat. Okay, And now we're in the second day of Chol HaMoed, which means Chol is weekday, Moed is holiday, the intermediary days. And the, the period of the Omer starts when we start counting. Every single night from the second night of the holiday, we count. Where does this come from? Um, it's a verse actually in the Torah. The Torah tells us, give me one second. That's not it. Please stand by. That's not it either. They say you should smile a lot when you teach. Fundraising. There we go. That's not it either. Okay. So here's the verse. Hang on one second. Why, oh, and you shall count for yourselves the day after Shabbat. Now it says the word Shabbat, but Shabbat often, I want to welcome Robin Karras. Great to have you learning with us, Robin. And Yariv, whoa, Yariv, what an honor and a pleasure to have you. Let's see who else joined on. Liz Levy, Michal Nina, Erica Wall. Hey, Erica, pleasure to have you. And Bleemund Vered. Uh, before Jason Flynn. Okay, beautiful group we have today. Guys, thank you all for joining. Stick with me. I'm going to try to keep these things to 30, 40 minutes and not so much longer, okay? So you shall count for yourselves the day after Shabbat. That's talking about the day after the holiday of Passover, after the first day of the holiday. 
from the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering until the day after the Shabbos, you shall count 50 days. So from the second night of Passover, right after the first, after the holiday begins, you're supposed to count 50 days every day, another day. Now the Torah doesn't tell us why. The Torah doesn't tell us why, but it is considered, excuse me, a very, very joyous kind of counting and situation. Why is it considered joyous? Because we are counting from the day we left Egypt until the day we stood at Sinai to receive the Torah. For those of you unfamiliar, there were actually 49 days in between. Um, and there's a lot of spiritual significance to this. I mentioned this in one of my previous Lunch and Learns. When God took the Jewish people out of Egypt in haste, why is it so significant that God took us out of haste in a rush? Who cares that God took us out in a haste? Because it shows that we were on the Mem Tet Shari Tumah, the Kabbalists teach. We were on the 49th rung of ritual impurity. Had God allowed literally another moment to pass before taking us from Egypt, we would have hit rock bottom. And God takes us out in every day that, we, that it took us to get from Egypt to Sinai to receive the Torah, because remember, we were taken out of Egypt for a greater purpose, not simply to be emancipated from slavery. Of course, that was step one. Step two was to get the Torah at Sinai, which was 49 days later, and we count. And the Torah tells us that we're supposed to count each of these days. And it's kind of a joyous counting because, as the Medrash teaches, and I'm going to give you a little parable, the Medrash tells us that there was a king. And I'm going to come back to Rachel's story in a minute. You'll see why I shared this story with you. But there's a parable of a great king. And by the way, if you have the handout, you can open it up. I'm not using it just yet, but I want you to see the counting of the Omer. I photocopied a couple of sheets on the counting of the Omer. We count each, each day. You can see the counting there. I have it for you. And the parable is very, very simple. It's a king that is walking with his, uh, with his men, with his army officers in the forest, and they hear somebody crying for help. And the king orders his men to go find the source of the cry. And lo and behold, they see that there's a huge pit. And Nebuch, some guy, fell in the pit. And he's all the way down. He's crying for help. The king looks down and he sees this helpless individual. And he says, I'm going to help you. I'm going to have my men lower a rope and they're going to pull you out. And not only am I going to take you out of this pit, but I'm going to bring you back to the palace. I'm going to dress you up in the royal garb. And you're going to marry my daughter, the princess. This is the Midrash. It says this in the rabbinic literature. The guy's thinking, that's amazing, you know, just, just get me out of the pit. He lowers the rope, they pull him out of the pit, brings him back to the palace, dresses him in the royal clothing, and then the man starts to count. What is he counting? Who can tell me? What is he counting? Wow, we got a lot of people today. Guys, what is he counting? King said, I'm going to lower, lower the rope, pull you out, dress you in the royal clothing, and then you're going to marry my daughter. He came through with pulling him out of the pit, came through with the royal clothing, brought him to the palace. The only thing left is to marry the princess. So he started to count one day, two days, three days. So too does the Jewish people. When we were in the pit, we were literally in the pit of Egypt. Welcome, Dr. David. Hope you had a beautiful, and Emily Rosenthal, we hope you guys had a beautiful Passover first days anyway. The Jewish people were in the pit in Egypt and we cried out to God, please God, take us out of this dungeon. Take us out of this pit. God came to the Jewish people and he says, not only am I going to 
take you out of this pit. But I'm going to bring you to Sinai. I'm going to dress you in the royal clothing. Those are the mitzvot. And I'm going to eventually bring you to the land of Israel. What did the Jewish people do? When they saw that God took them out of Egypt, they started to count. What were they counting? They counted to the time they were going to receive the Torah. Because God came through this first promise, just like the king did with the man who fell in the pit. And God came through with the second promise, so God therefore is going to come through with the third, which is to take us to receive the Torah, so therefore we count. When do we count? Why do we count in Judaism and in life? I remember when I was a kid and I was so excited about my birthday. I get, don't get as excited anymore. When you're a kid, you go crazy, birthdays, birthdays, birthdays. You start counting. Daddy, there's only 10 days left to my birthday. Daddy, there's only nine days left to my birthday. Four days, five days. Every day is exciting. I'm getting closer, I'm getting closer. Counting is yearning, it's anticipation. It is trying to get closer to something that you're so much looking forward to. What are we doing right now? We were just taken out of the pit. We were just taken out of Egypt. We sat at our seders and we said, we were slaves to Pharaoh in Egypt. And now the first days of the holiday are over and we are now counting till when? Shavuot. We're counting to the holiday where we stand at Sinai, where we stood at to commemorate the event of the revelation of the giving of the Torah at Sinai, where we stood at Sinai to receive the Torah. So counting... My brothers and sisters, this is a very joyous time. I know we're not feeling a lot of joy. I watched the news this morning. It's not a joyous time in the world. But in the Jewish calendar, the period of counting between Passover and Shavuot is very joyous. We got out of Egypt. We formed a new nation. Now we're going to go get the Torah and get our purpose and our mission as a nation. However, something else happened during this period of time. By the way, before I get to the negative, let me stay a little positive for a minute. Take a look at your handout, Binyamin, at the very beginning of this um, discussion, posted a um, uh, just an excerpt from Rabbi Sachs's Machzor from the prayer book for Passover, where we have, and I want to encourage everyone to count. It's a great mitzvah to be able to perform. Even if you haven't done it yet, you can still count. You just count without a blessing. If you've been counting already, last night or today is really the third day of the Omer. We started counting on Thursday night, Friday night, and last night, Saturday night, the third day. So if you haven't done it, take a look at the handout. Let's do it together. Look on page 94. We'll do it in the English. as a nice little introductory paragraph. You guys have the handout? Take a look in the chat in the, uh, where you guys can write notes. In the very beginning, Benjamin Cohn was kind enough to post the source sheet. On the source sheet, the first source sheet has... The prayer, take a look over here where it says, ooh, counting of the Omer, counting of the Omer. I am prepared and ready to fulfill the positive commandment of counting the Omer, as it is written in the Torah. You shall count seven complete weeks from the following day, following Pesach, rest day, when you brought the Omer as a wave offering. To the day after the seventh week, you shall count 50 days. Then you shall present a meal offering of a new grain to the Lord, May the pleasantness of the Lord our God be upon us, establish for us the work of our hands, or establish the work of our hands. You don't have to say that paragraph. You can cut right to the chase. One of welcome my bro. Michael, we haven't spoken. I hope you had a beautiful Seder without me. Um, my brother and I just experienced the very first Seder. We've never had a Seder without each other, yelling and screaming at each other, complaining on taking too long and speaking endlessly. When is this going to be over? Dayenu. I miss that, Michael. Anyway, 
We're talking about the counting of the Omer. So take a look. Let's just do the bracha. You only do the blessing at night. If you haven't done it so far, just continue to count every night without a blessing. If you have been and you've already done the first night on Thursday night, the second night on Friday night, the third, the third night, last night, Saturday night, then you can continue with a blessing tonight. But I'm just doing this to teach. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech Olam, blessed are you God, King of the universe. Asher kedushanu b'mitzvotav v'tzivanu al sfirata Omer, who has made us holy through his commandments and commanded us counting the Omer. And then you say, and today, by the way, let's do it together. Hayom shlosha yamim ba'omer. Do it again. Hayom, today, shlosha is three days ba'omer. And it's a very, very uplifting kind of experience and exercise that we do every day of counting the Omer. And take a look at the last page of your handout. Over here, there's a beautiful little prayer. I'm sorry, the light, there it is. Uh, over here, there's a nice prayer afterwards that you can say to yourself if you would like. And look what it says, Master of the Universe, you commanded us through your servant Moses to count the Omer to cleanse our carpasses. What is a carpasses? Must be a British term. This is the Koran prayer book. Um, to cleanse our impurities, as you have written in your Torah, you shall count seven complete weeks from the day following the Pesach when you brought the Omer as a wave offering to the day after the seventh week, you shall count 50 days. By the way, they would count and then they would bring a very modest barley offering. We don't do that anymore. We don't have a temple, but we still do the count part. This is so that the souls of your people, Israel, may be purified from their uncleanliness. Remember, we were on the 49th rung of ritual impurity and every day we counted one rung up until the time we stood at Sinai to receive the Torah. That's what we're doing now. May it also be your will, Lord our God, and the God of our ancestors, that in the merit of the Omer count, that I have counted today, may there be rectified any defect on my part in the counting. May I be cleansed and sanctified with your holiness on high. And may there be a flow of a rich stream of through all the worlds to rectify our lives. There's a lot of Kabbalah going on here. Every single day, there's another aspect of the neshama of the soul that gets rectified through the sfirot. There are actually 10 sfirot, 10 emanations, separating God from the physical world. And within each human soul, there is a spherot, 10 emanations as well. And we focus on the seven, midot, which are the personality traits. This is all basic Kabbalah 101. Um, there are 10 spherot, the top three spherot are Chachma Binadat, which stands actually for Chabad, um, which refers to our intellectual cognitive processing abilities and a little deeper than that as well. And then the next seven are the emotions, the personality traits, and every single week we go through seven of the spherot to rectify the parts of our personalities that need elevation. So there's a lot of interesting Kabbalah that's going on, but what I'm trying to demonstrate that this mitzvah is a very positive and joyous one. It is. Now, if you stop any Jew on the street and you ask them, well, probably someone with a little more of a background. Is the Omer period on the Jewish calendar between Passover and Shavuot a positive time in history for the Jewish people? Is it a moment, is it, is it a positive experience or is it a negative one? What do you think? What would most people say if you asked them, is it a positive time or is it a negative time? I'm looking at some of the names here. Deborah Seidel. Yeah, my brother's just posting this. Mom, my, our mother, uh, uh, blessed memory, loved to do the sphera. She loved to count. 
she did this every day. She used to leave the prayer book on her night table and count. It's so nice learning with you, Michael. Uh, and yes, Kabbalah is where it's at, Amy. Uh, Sarah, just Michael, welcome to the program. All right. Now we're also counting towards our process change of mindset. That's correct, Amy. That's what I was touching on before. Another good mitzvah to call upon a person is to check in with them every day, every day of the Omer. That would actually be a very nice ritual to apply the Omer to Corona. I like that, Jonathan Brody. That was a very Jonathan Brody suggestion, which is as you count the Omer every single day, take upon yourself, Blineder, without taking a vow, that every day we're gonna call someone who feels a little more vulnerable, a little more isolated, a little more alone during this period of time. Because if in fact, the counting of the omers to rectify our personalities, what better way to do that than by helping someone else, particularly in this time of isolation and loneliness for so many people. Um, so Benjamin Cohn is giving me an answer, a little nuanced answer, a little dialectic. He's saying it's both positive and negative. It's not, it is a positive and negative. You're right, it is positive this period of time because we're counting up to giving of the Torah, but it's also negative. And it's negative, who can tell me why? Because something happened in Jewish history. Something happened later after the close of the Bible, and that is the death, the tragedy which befell the tens of thousands of students of Rabbi Akiva. It's not mentioned anywhere in the Torah, because it didn't occur until centuries after the close of the Bible and is not recorded until later in the Talmud. What happened? The Talmud says that suddenly, during this period of time, this is in the Roman period when Rabbi Akiva, the late and great Rabbi Akiva lived, that 12,000 of, of his zugim, zugim is a pair, right? People in yeshiva study in pairs. We have a chavruta, a study partner. 12,000 pairs, meaning 24,000, Students of Rabbi Akiva all died in some strange epidemic during this period of time. I don't want to stop making any analogies between what's going on today and that. I have no idea. I'm staying away from that. But now, there's no such thing as coincidence. And I'm not talking about Corona now. When it comes to Jewish history, the Talmud tells us that the cause of that terrible epidemic that resulted in the death of Rabbi Akiva's many students was a breakdown in their interpersonal relationships. In the words of the Talmud, that the reason all of Rabbi Akiva's students started to die is because they failed to show proper respect and honor to each other. And that despite their great Torah scholarship, their derech eretz, the way they related to one another, was, was seriously lacking. And that for who they were in terms of the relationship with God, their relationship with their fellow human being was not on the same level. It was a little out of whack. I always like to talk about this. We have the vertical relationship, a relationship with Hashem, and then we have a relationship with our fellow human being. We have to have that proper balance. And despite these great rabbis and their extraordinary relationship with God and their scholarship, the way they related to each other was lacking. And that might explain the so-called coincidence of this tragedy occurring during the Sphira period. During the period where we're counting to the time when we received the Torah, counting one step up. And by the way, this is such a good attitude for all of us to try to have during this corona period as we're isolated. I've been saying this for weeks now. Try to use this period of time to practice a better health besides even the social distancing, eating more healthy that we don't usually do perhaps, um, maybe starting to run and exercise on a more daily basis. 
uh, trying to use this time productively and in a healthy way. Um, and I wrote um, a, a blog about how important that is from a Jewish perspective and why this is a very perfect time to kick some bad health, nasty uh, negative health habits that we might have. So is it a positive time or is it a negative time? It's positive because we're counting towards the giving of the Torah. It's negative because 24,000 students of Rabbi Akiva died. And we have to this day what's called the Omer period. Do you know that during the Omer period, I used to play in a band, I used to do bar mitzvahs and weddings when I was in college and graduate school. You never got any gigs in, you know, I used to do bar mitzvahs and weddings and all that kind of fun stuff. And we never got gigs during this period of time because nobody plans weddings during the Omer, at least in the traditional Jewish community, because we're commemorating the death of the tens of thousands of students of Rebbe Akiva. And that's why people generally don't get haircuts. I got a haircut from my son Yehuda. I want to give him a shout out. Um, he watched a YouTube video and said, uh, Abba, I'm ready to give you a haircut. One YouTube video. And he actually did, didn't do so badly. But some, we don't get haircuts. Some people don't shave. You can see I got a little scruff going on here. Um, that's also because it's Cholamoid. I might trim it though before a holiday, the second day of the holidays. And we've got this kind of negative period of time where we don't have public celebrations. Uh, we're not quarantined like we are during Corona, but a, a typical sphere period is a time when we don't celebrate because of the, the death of the students, Rabbi Akiva. And yet, it's also a very, very positive time on the Jewish calendar. Robin Karras, do you think that even though we are talking about spiritual refinement, we're also going through a time where we were slaves. And since we were slaves, we also were in a time of great impurity while in Egypt. We have to remember that too. Maybe, maybe, yes. I talked about that before, Robin. I mentioned that we are commemorating the 49th level of ritual impurity that we used to be on and how we're going up one step at a time. Uh, just because Robin is mentioning this, I, I mentioned this uh, before that unfortunately, um, dear, dear friend, and really a teacher and a mentor to Robin, Rabbi Katz, who unfortunately contracted corona and passed away. So I'd like to just dedicate what we've been learning so far in this class and, and until the end uh, in memory of Rabbi Katz, Rabbi Mordechai Katz, who was an exceptional, exceptional rabbi and teacher for so many people, unfortunately just passed away last week. Um, so what is the teaching here? What is the teaching that before, what is the teaching that before That, that, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought, that we are counting up. You know, it's weird when you have students in front of you, like it's a little easier sometimes, but um, I really appreciate you guys writing the notes and the thumbs up. It, it helps me stay connected to you all. So the importance really of right going up every day of the Omer, it's a positive time. On the other hand, is this terrible time in Jewish history. So one of my teachers, Rav Nevensal, the chief rabbi of the old city in Jerusalem, great, great rabbi, gave the following explanation that I wanna share with you and I wanna leave this with you for today. This is like the major teaching. He, fa he applied the famous rabbinic adage, derech eretz kadma Torah, that proper behavior between young, one person and the next comes before Torah. And that's a very important fundamental idea. 
we always say this in English, menschlichkeit before frumkeit. Before you could be a frumayid, which is Yiddish for a religious Jew, you gotta be a mensch, you gotta be a human being. And during the same time period that we count and look forward towards the giving of the Torah, during the same period of time that we're trying to get closer and closer and closer and closer to God, we are taught through the death of Rabbi Akiva's students that even more fundamental than the Torah perhaps is the way we treat our fellow human being. And that's precisely why we engage in certain aspects of mourning during this period of time, why we refrain from weddings, live music, haircuts, and the like, to help focus us on the way we treat each other, to acknowledge that in our generation, we need to improve on the way we talk to each other, the way we disagree with each other, that we can disagree and we can argue and even fight vehemently, but still respect the other person. And that's why I love that story that I began our discussion with today, the story about Rachel, who is becoming more religious, and she became a Balat's Tshuva, and she goes home to her parents, and her aunt and uncle come over for the first night Seder, and as a housewarming gift, or, or a meal-warming gift, they give her a loaf of bread on Passover. The story, the way she reacted was so beautiful because becoming more religious is never an excuse for being less respectful or showing less honor to a friend or a parent. In fact, it's just the opposite. Someone who sees their child or their friend becoming more religiously observant should also see that friend or child becoming more sensitive in the way they speak, becoming more refined in their character, more respectful of their peers and their loved ones because so much of the Torah's teachings is the way we treat each other. It shouldn't just be the mitzvot of Shabbat and Kashrut that sort of label people religious. What should label another Jew religious is keeping, uh, keeping uh, kosher, observing Shabbat, right? Those are signs of a religious Jew. But so is proper treatment, sensitivity, kindness, and respect, even when things happen that would, would um, challenge, if you will, the level of religiosity that someone has attained. In my experience over the many years that I've had the honor of being involved in this work is that when those mitzvot, when the person-to-person -person mitzvot of the Torah are seen by family and friends as, as fundamental to the Baal Tshuva, to the person who becomes more religious, then, then more often than not, the Shabbat and the Kashrut observances are more respected as well. We will respect more of the Torah and its mitzvot when we see that people who are observing more Torah and mitzvot are the people who are more kind, are the people who are more gentle. I cannot share anything more appropriate. I'm so happy, Robin, that you got on this, uh, that you started asking questions because you reminded me of Rabbi Katz. I was telling my son Yehuda, who gave me the haircut, I had to share the news that Rabbi Katz passed away and you know, Yehuda said, oh, he's the guy who sits in the back in the corner. We daven every morning with him for like years at the Jewish center, the eight o'clock minion during the week. Oh, what a, such a nice, he's like the nicest rabbi I've ever met. Like everybody who met this guy, he was a chaplain in the New York City hospital system at NYU. He was such a kind and gentle soul. And it was so clear that his, genteel and sensitive nature flowed from his religious observance. He was kind and considerate. He was the dorm counselor for, for Turo, which
which is a college, Jewish college. There's a Turo dorm just around the corner from MG on 85th Street. And he and his Rebetzin, she should live and be well, is there. She needs a Rafur Shlema. She should be well, please God. And he was so beloved because he wasn't just simply a kind and sensitive person. You could tell that his kindness and sensitivity was flowing from his belief in God, from his religious sensitivity. And the Shabbat that he observed and the, and the kosher that he observed, it, he was so inspirational to other people when it came to Shabbat and Kashrut because of the way he talked to people, because of the sensitive nature that he just had to other human beings, whether the person was Jewish, religious, not Jewish, didn't matter. It's just the way he was, and it was all encapsulated in his persona of religiosity. You can't split your religiosity between the way you deal with God and the way you deal with the, another human being. And I know we've all met people who consider themselves religious or might look very, very orthodox, and they may be a little rude, they may be a little coarse, and they may not be, right? That happens. But don't allow that to somehow allow us to think that becoming more religious is not a way of becoming a better person. Becoming more religious does make us better. It's just that people are people. Just because somebody's religious doesn't necessarily mean they always become more refined. You have to ask yourself, and I always say this to my students, where would that person be if they weren't keeping Shabbos? If they weren't trying to follow the laws of Lashon Hara, of speaking ill, right? Maybe they're not so, you know, they don't seem so ethically or, you know, they seem a little rude, they seem a little pushy, you know, um, I, I heard him bad-mouthing somebody else, you know? That happens with religious Jews too. Religious Jews are people too. You gotta ask yourself though, where would that religious Jew be without any of the mitzvot? Would they be better off or worse? And as long as the mitzvot are making, making us better, and what I'm trying to argue here is that the, the mitzvot need to make us better, both in terms of our relationship with God and our, in terms of our relationship with each other. And this is the powerful teaching of the Omer, that during the same period of time, when we are counting up towards getting closer and closer and rectifying our souls to be more connected to Hashem, we're thinking about why the students of Rabbi Akiva died. Because they failed to show proper respect one to the next. And we need the proper balance in our life between our relationship with Hashem and praying to God and observing Shabbat and keeping kosher and our relationship with our fellow human being. One is not more important or less important than the other. In our society, we probably consider one more important than the other. Who cares about this? I care about that. But that's all human invention. If you open up the Torah, which, is what we're going, which we're leading up to celebrating, the Torah, I always say, has no underlines. It has no bold. It doesn't say, you know, Yom Kippur is really important, but the Passover thing, don't worry about it. Or Sukkot is not so important as long as you, you dress up on Purim. It doesn't have any of that. The Torah just tells us there are 248 positive mitzvot, things that we're supposed to do, which will get us closer to God, and 365 negative mitzvot. These are, are actions and behaviors that will keep us apart from God. And you know what? The things that get us close to each other are also the things that get us close to God. And the things that keep us farther apart from each other also prevent us from getting closer to Hashem. They go hand in hand. One is not more important or less important than the other. Judaism is a balance between bein adam lemakom, 
our relationship between ourselves and God, and Ben Adam Lechavero in our relationship with our friends, with our colleagues, with our fellow human being. And so, as we go through this period of counting, and we're counting joyously, right? And we're also mourning over the death of the students of Rabbi Akiva. May each of us merit to perfect ourselves and to perfect ourselves by drawing ourselves closer to both Hashem and our fellow human being. If you're getting closer to your fellow human being, and it can come from the way we relate to God, and that's the ultimate way of getting closer to another person, not simply because I feel like it, but because God wants me to, because I'm a creation of Hashem, and we're all created in God's image, and therefore, from the Torah itself, I must, I must show respect to my fellow human being. I must relate to every single human being as though they are created in God's image. And that was something that was lacking in Rabbi Akiva's students. Let's think about that. And I'll just apply this as I always do very easily to what's happening with Corona today. If social distancing isn't causing us to feel a little more appreciative, to miss a little more, I really miss my students. I miss high-fiving them, I miss just um, being in the same room with them and relating to them and joking around and learning Torah one-on-one and not in some room with a camera on my face. I do miss you guys. Um, And I miss a lot of friends and I I miss seeing my dad who I can't see um, in person. And that hopefully will make us feel perhaps just a little more appreciative. Let's make sure that when this corona period of time is over, please God, soon, 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 that we're not the same people we were when it started, that we have a greater appreciation. Let's use the Omer period to get closer to God and to our fellow human being. Uh, okay, I've spoken enough. Jeff Koblin says, may Rabbi, may Rabbi Katz is holy Neshama have an Aliyah. Thank you, Jeff. And his memory be a blessing to all who knew him. Thank you so much. Welcome, Adam Fight, Jonathan Brody. Can you discuss some of the things we refrain from doing during the Omer? So I mentioned uh, the other things we refrain from doing during the Omer. We're refraining from anyway now because of Corona. One is uh, we don't have public celebrations. People don't get married during this period of time. You don't have. We don't go to live music concerts. We don't get haircuts. Um. And it's sort of a quasi-morning period to reflect and to become a little more sensitive to the way we treat our fellow human being by thinking about what happened to Rabbi Kiva's students because of their failure to treat each other with the respect that they so deserved. Uh, I'm trying to think, what else am I missing? We count every day and we refrain from haircuts. Um, some people don't shave um, as well and we don't go to concerts and public festivities. I'm probably leaving out some other stuff, but no, that's basically it, Jonathan. Okay, I'm gonna close up here. I just wanna make sure everyone is clear also. Just two important announcements. Number one, we are in the period of Chol Hamoi, the intermediary days, and as such, I'm gonna be coming to you live tomorrow and the next day. We have some really, really great ideas to share with you tomorrow. Uh, about Israel. We have not spoken enough about Israel. Um, Israel, by the way, is dealing with corona magnificently relative to the other countries of the world, including the United States. 
Israel has done a bli ayin hara, phenomenal, phenomenal job of containing this um, uh, as best as possible under the circumstances. We're going to speak a little about the startup nation tomorrow, and we're going to talk a little about the connection between the holiday of Passover and specifically Joseph, the biblical personality, and um, Israel, specifically religious Zionism, why at MGE, and why we believe so much in the state of Israel religiously, not simply as a safe haven for Jews, you know, in danger running away after the Holocaust, but what it really means to Jews throughout the world today in a religious sense. And we're going to get into that, some of the controversies that still rage today between the Zionists and the anti-Zionists within the Jewish world, okay? Yes, there are actually Orthodox Jews that are anti-Zionist. We're going to talk a little about that tomorrow and the next day. So I uh, invite you to come back. We will also be having other wonderful things happening. I don't have the cheat sheet in front of me with all the MG happenings. Check the emails that we keep sending. Uh, I also have been releasing some other videos. I released one before uh, the holiday that I put on Facebook Live. You can just scroll back. And by the way, if you want to watch any of these classes that you missed, one of the main reasons I'm putting this on Facebook Live is because it just continues to live and breathe on Facebook Live. You can just go back and watch them again. And at the end of the week, I send out an archive. Uh, these are all archived if you go to the, uh, the Facebook page and, um, and MGE uh, website, jewishexperience.org. I want to thank you guys all for being here, for joining us. I want to wish you all a beautiful, what, what do we say during Cholomoid? You can either say Chag Sameach because it's still part of the holiday, right? Cholomoid is today, Monday and Tuesday. Tuesday night will be the second days of the Yom Tov. Tuesday night, Wednesday, Wednesday night, Thursday. So we wish each other Chag Sameach. Or you could say Mo'adim L'Simcha. Mo'adim L'Simcha. Or if you want to be very Hamish, you can say Aguten Moed. Aguten Moed, which means a good holiday. And uh, Amy, it's a pleasure. Thank you for your comments and your support. And I uh, wish you guys a beautiful and holy and blessed day. Uh, follow Jonathan Brody's uh, suggestion. Pick up the phone and call someone who could use a little chizuk uh, if you can get out in a safe way to get a little fresh air and do some exercise or just do it at home. Eat healthily. Stay strong, my friends. Have a great day. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of The Wildscast. Subscribe to our show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast app. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on the Apple Podcast Store. It only takes a minute, and when you do, it helps others discover the show. For more information about the Manhattan Jewish Experience, visit our website at jewishexperience.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again for joining us today.